Chapter 1, Section 2 of Manual of Egyptian Archaeology and Guide to the Study of Antiquities in Egypt by Gaston Maspero, translated by Amelia B. Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Timothy Ferguson. Chapter 1, Architecture, Civil and Military. Section 2, Fortresses. Most of the towns, and even more of the larger villages of ancient Egypt, were walled. This was an almost necessary consequence of the geographical characteristics and the political constitution of the country. The mouths of the defiles which led into the desert needed to be closed against the Bedouin, while the great feudal nobles fortified their houses, their towns, and the villages upon their domains, which commanded either the mountain passes or the narrow parts of the river, against their king or their neighbours. The oldest fortresses are those of Abydos, El Kab, and Semneh. Abydos contained a sanctuary dedicated to Osiris, and was situate at the entrance of one of the roads leading to the oasis. As the renown of the temple attracted pilgrims, so the position of the city caused it to be frequented by merchants. Hence the prosperity which it derived from the influx of both classes of strangers exposed the city to incursions of the Libyan tribes. At Abydos, there yet remain two almost perfect strongholds. The older forms, as it were, the core of the tumulus, called by the Arabs Kom es Sultan, or the Mound of the King. The interior of this building has been excavated to a point some ten or twelve feet above the ground level, but the walls outside have not yet been cleared from the surrounding sand and rubbish. In its present condition, it forms a parallelogram of crude brickwork, measuring 410 feet from north to south and 223 feet from east to west. The main axis of the structure extends, therefore, from north to south. The principal gateway opens in the western wall, not far from the southwest corner, but there would appear to be two smaller gates, one in the south front and one in the east. The walls, which now stand from 24 to 36 feet high, have lost somewhat of their original height. They are about 6 feet thick at the top. They were not built altogether in uniform layers, but in huge vertical panels, easily distinguished by the arrangement of the brickwork. In one division, the bedding of the bricks is strictly horizontal. In the next, it is slightly concave, and forms a very flat reversed arch, of which the extrados rests upon the ground. The alternation of these two methods is regularly repeated. The object of the arrangement is obscure, but it is said that buildings thus constructed are especially fitted to resist earthquake shocks. However this may be, the fortress is extremely ancient, for in the 5th dynasty the nobles of Abydos took possession of the interior and ultimately so piled it up with their graves as to deprive it of all strategic value. A second stronghold, erected a few hundred yards further to the southeast, replaced that of Comes Sultan, about the time of the twelfth dynasty, and narrowly escaped the fate of the first, under the rule of the Ramessides. Nothing, in fact, but the sudden decline of the city saved the second from being similarly choked and buried. The early Egyptians possessed no engines calculated to make an impression on very massive walls. They knew of but three ways of forcing a stronghold, namely scaling the walls, sapping them, or bursting open the gates. The plan adopted by their engineers in building the second fort is admirably well calculated to resist each of these modes of attack. The outer walls are long and straight, without towers or projections of any kind. 
they measure 430 feet in length from north to south by 255 feet in width. The foundations rest on the sand and do not go down more than a foot. The wall is of crude brick in horizontal courses. It has a slight batter, is solid without slits or loopholes, and is decorated outside with long vertical grooves or panels like those depicted on the stelae of the ancient empire. In its present state, it rises to a height of some 36 feet above the plain. When perfect, it would scarcely have exceeded 40 feet, which height would amply suffice to protect the garrison from all danger of scaling by portable ladders. The thickness of the wall is about 20 feet at the base and 16 feet above. The top is destroyed, but the bas-reliefs and mural paintings show that it must have been crowned with a continuous cornice, boldly projecting, furnished with a slight low parapet, and surmounted by battlements, which were generally rounded, but sometimes, though rarely, squared. The walk round the top of the ramparts, though diminished by the parapet, was still twelve or fifteen feet wide. It ran uninterruptedly along the four sides, and was reached by narrow staircases formed in the thickness of the walls, but now destroyed. There was no ditch, but in order to protect the base of the main wall from sappers, they erected, about ten feet in advance of it, a battlement covering wall, some sixteen feet in height. These precautions sufficed against sap and scaling, but the gates remained as open gaps in the circuit. It was upon these weak points that besiegers and besieged alike concentrated their efforts. The fortress of Abydos had two gates, the main one being situate at the east end of the north front. A narrow cutting, closed by a massive wooden door, marked the place in the covering wall. Behind it was a small plaster arms, cut partly into the thickness of the wall, and leading to a second gate, as narrow as the first. When, notwithstanding the showers of missiles poured upon them from the tops of the walls, not only in front but also from both sides, the attacking party had succeeded in carrying this second door, they were not yet in the heart of the place. They would still have to traverse an oblong court, closely hemmed in between the outer walls and under the cross walls, which last stood at right angles to the first. Finally, they must force a last postern, which was purposely placed in the most awkward corner. The leading principle in the construction of fortress gates was always the same, but the details varied according to the taste of the engineer. At the south-east gate of the fort of Abydos, the plaster arms between the two walls is abolished, and the court is constructed entirely in the thickness of the main wall. While at Komel Amar, opposite El Kab, the block of brickwork, in the midst of which the gate is cut, projects boldly in front. The posterns, opening at various points, facilitated the movements of the garrison and enabled them to multiply their sorties. The same system of fortification, which was in use for isolated fortresses, was also employed for the protection of towns. At Heliopolis, at San, at Sais, at Thebes, everywhere in short, we find long straight walls forming plain squares or parallelograms, without towers or bastions, ditches or outworks. The thickness of the walls, which varied from 30 to 80 feet, made such precautions needless. The gates, or at all events, the principal ones, had jams and lintels of stone, decorated with scenes and inscriptions, as, for instance, that of Ombos, which Champollion beheld yet in situ, and which dated from the reign of Thothmes III. The oldest and best preserved walled city in Egypt, namely El Kab, belongs to the ancient empire. 
the nile washed part of it away some years ago but at the beginning of the present century it formed an irregular quadrilateral enclosure measuring some two thousand one hundred feet in length by about a quarter less in breadth the south front is constructed on the same principles as the wall at Selton, the bricks being bedded in alternate horizontal and concave sections along the north and west fronts they are laid in undulating layers from end to end the thickness is thirty-eight feet and the average height thirty feet and spacious ramps lead up to the walk upon the walls the gates are placed irregularly one in each side to north east and west but none in the south face they are however in too ruinous a state to admit of any plan being taken of them the enclosure contained a considerable population whose dwellings were unequally distributed the greater part being concentrated towards the north and west where excavations have disclosed the remnants of a large number of houses the temples were grouped together in a square enclosure concentric with the outer wall and this second enclosure served for a keep where the garrison could hold out long after the rest of the town had fallen into the hands of the enemy the rectangular plan though excellent in a plain was not always available in hilly country when the spot to be fortified was situate upon a height the egyptian engineers knew perfectly well how to adapt their lines of defence to the nature of the site at kom ombo the walls exactly followed the outline of the isolated mound on which the town was perched and presented towards the east a front bristling with irregular projections the style of which roughly resembles our modern bastions at kume and sene in nubia where the nile rushes over the rocks of the second cataract the engineering arrangements are very ingenious and display much real skill usatessen the third had fixed on this pass as the frontier of egypt and the fortresses which he there constructed were intended to bar the waterway against the vessels of the neighbouring negro tribes at kume on the upper right bank the position was naturally strong upon a rocky height surrounded by precipices was planned in a regular square measuring about two hundred feet each way two elongated bastions one on the northeast and the other on the southeast guarded respectively the path leading to the gate and the course of the river the covering wall stood thirteen feet high and closely followed the line of the main wall except to the north and south corners where it formed two bastion-like projections at semne on the opposite bank the site was less favourable the east side was protected by a belt of cliffs going sheer down to the water's edge but the three other sides were well nigh open a straight wall about fifty feet in height carried along the cliffs on the side next the river but the walls looking towards the plain rose to eighty feet and bristled with bastion-like projections jutting out for a distance of fifty feet from the curtain wall measuring thirty feet thick at the base and thirteen feet at the top and irregularly spaced according to the requirements of the defence these spurs which are not battlemented served in place of towers they added to the strength of the walls protected the walk round the top and enabled the besieged to direct a flank attack against the enemy if any attempt were made upon the wall of circuit the intervals between these spurs are accurately calculated as to distance in order that archers should be able to sweep the intervening ground with their arrows curtains and salients are alike built of crude brick with beams bedded horizontally into the mass the outer face is in two parts the lower division being nearly vertical and the upper one inclined at an angle of about seventy degrees 
which made scaling very difficult, if not impossible. The whole of the ground enclosed by the wall of circuit was filled in to nearly the level of the ramparts. Externally, the covering wall of stone was separated from the body of the fortress by a dry ditch, some 100 to 130 feet in width. This wall closely followed the main outline and rose to a height which varied according to the situation from 6 to 10 feet above the level of the plain. On the northward side, it was cut by the winding road which led down into the plain. These arrangements, skilful as they were, did not prevent the fall of the place. A large breach in the southward face between the two salients nearest to the river marks the point of attack selected by the enemy. New methods of fortification were revealed to the Egyptians in the course of the great Asiatic wars undertaken by the pharaohs of the 18th dynasty. The nomadic tribes of Syria erected small forts in which they took refuge when threatened with invasion. The Canaanite and Hittite cities, as Ascalon, Darpur, and Merom, were surrounded by strong walls, generally built of stone and flanked with towers. Those which stood in the open country, as for instance, Khodshu, Kadesh, were enclosed by double moat. Having proved the efficiency of these new types of defensive architecture in the course of their campaigns, the pharaohs reproduced them in the valley of the Nile. From the beginning of the 19th dynasty, the eastern frontier of the delta, always the weakest, was protected by a line of forts constructed after the Canite model. The Egyptians, moreover, not content with appropriating the thing, appropriated also the name, and called these frontier towers by the Semitic name of Magdilu, or Migdols. For these purposes, or at all events, for cities which were exposed to the incursions of the Asiatic tribes, brick was not deemed to be sufficiently strong, hence the walls of Heliopolis and even those of Memphis were faced with stone. Of these new fortresses, no ruins remain, but for a royal caprice, which happens to have left us a model Migdol, in that most unlikely place, the necropolis of Thebes. We should now be constrained to attempt a restoration of their probable appearance from the representations in certain mural tableaus. When, however, Ramesses III erected his memorial temple, he desired, in remembrance of his Syrian victories, to give it an outwardly military aspect. Along the eastern front of the enclosure, there accordingly runs a battlemented covered wall of stone, averaging some 13 feet in height. The gate, protected by a large quadrangular bastion, opened in the middle of this wall. It was 3 feet 4 inches in width, and was flanked by two small oblong guard houses, the flat roofs of which stood about 3 feet higher than the ramparts. Passing this gate, we stand face to face with a real migdol, Two blocks of building enclose a succession of courtyards which narrow as they recede and are connected at the lower end by a kind of gatehouse consisting of one massive gateway surmounted by two stories of chambers. The eastward faces of the towers rise above an inclined basement which slopes to a height from 15 to 16 feet from the ground. This answered two purposes. It increased the strength of the wall at the part exposed to sappers it also caused the rebound of projectiles thrown from above, and so helped to keep assailants at a distance. The whole height is about 72 feet, and the width of each tower is 32 feet. The buildings situated at the back, to right and left of the gate, were destroyed in ancient times. The details of the decoration are partly religious, partly triumphal, as befits the character of the structure. It is unlikely, however, that actual fortresses were adorned with brackets and bas-relief sculptures, 
such as we here see on either side of the forecourt. Such as it is, the so-called pavilion of Medinet Habu offers an unique example of the high degree of perfection to which the victorious pharaohs of this period had carried their military architecture. Material evidence fails us almost entirely after the reign of Ramesses III. Towards the close of the 11th century BC, the high priests of Amen repaired the walls of Thebes, of Gebelin, and of El Hibe, opposite Feshn. The territorial subdivisions of the country, which took place under the successors of Seshnok, compelled the provincial princes to multiply their strongholds. The campaign of Pianki on the banks of the Nile is a series of successful sieges. Nothing, however, leads us to suppose that the art of fortification had at that time made any distinct progress, and when the Greek rulers succeeded the native pharaohs, they most probably found it at much the same stage as it was left by the engineers of the 19th and 20th dynasties. End of chapter 1, section 2. Recording by Timothy Ferguson, Gold Coast, Australia.